Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 405 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I am Donald here. I am your host this week, and I'm going to tell you right now, I am lit. I am excited (laughs) because right now, as we sit here on Sunday, March 20th, around 937 on the East Coast, your Duke Blue Devils are once again back in the Sweet 16 after an 85-76 to victory over Michigan State. We are here to recap all of it. I have a Bull Durham beer with me. I am sitting here with my friends Jason Evans and Sam Klein. First of all, Jason, how are you? Are you as lit as I am right now? Go! Yes! 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 That is my answer. Yes. And, by the way, my my leg hurts. My legs hurt. I'm panting still because I was was a nervous wreck (laughs) during that entire game. Like, I wore out a path on the carpet in my living room, walking back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I don't think I sat for more than maybe three to five minutes of that game. My wife said she was going to have to call the doctor because I was going to have a heart attack. Ah, oh, it was nice to get the win. It was nice. This is good, Jason. This is good because if we need a guy to go 35, 36 minutes later on, we I'm know ready. we can count on you. I'm in shape. We, we can count on you. I'm going to bring in Sam here. Sam Klein, how are you doing this evening? I will say that my overall energy level is not as great as the two of you. And it's not because... It's not because I'm not super excited about Duke's victory this afternoon against Michigan State. It is because before Duke's victory against Michigan State, I attended the South Boston St. Patrick's Day parade. And so it's just been a weird, uh, weird sort of energy day. Like I was really (laughs) excited earlier and then I got like kind of tired because I drank a couple beers and then I came home and watched the game and then got my energy back. So really don't know what time it is sort of mentally. Uh, but I'm very excited to talk about about this and to talk about the brackets in general because this has been like you guys tell me if you if you think otherwise. To me, this has been one of the most fun NCAA tournaments in terms of like based on the games that we've already seen. Yeah. No one, no one is like far and away the best team in this tournament. And like, and I think going in, it was like, oh, you, you know, there are a handful of teams that that you know are going to be dominant that you know are going to just waltz their way into the sweet 16. I don't think anyone has waltzed their way into the sweet 16 yet. No. And and that's the great thing about this. I think before the tournament, we all mentioned that there was a lot of good teams in this tournament, but no elite great teams that were leaps and bounds above everyone else. And that is playing true to form in some of the results that we're seeing here. Maybe as we're maybe Donald, maybe Arizona can we're recording before the Arizona game tips off here. Like maybe Arizona You're cursing look, them. They're definitely going to lose. They're definitely yeah, going to lose. Maybe Arizona. <laughs> I hope could they look do awesome <laughs> tonight. But, <laughs> I don't but like if care. Arizona doesn't look awesome tonight, the most impressive team so far in this tournament is Houston. St. Peter's baby. St. Peter's. St. Peter's. Yeah. <laughs> Pe- okay. So, so that, that brings up a good point. Just for those of you out there for this episode, we are just talking about the Duke game. We will save all the talk about the sweet 16 who we play. We do know at this moment that we will be playing Texas Tech. We will preview them on a later episode. We will also just go over the rest of the bracket, see how everyone's doing right now, doing pretty good in my bracket, but, you know, not just going to knock on wood there. But for now, we're just going to focus on the Duke game. Again, as I mentioned, 85-76, the final score out of Greenville, South Carolina, the Duke Blue Devils advance. Uh, Jason mentioned on the last episode, the sixth meeting between Coach K and Tom Izzo. Finally. We get out of that and six tournament and coach six K in the tournament in the tournament, six yeah. me in the tournament. Yes. And, and overall it was the 16th uh, uh, matchup between the two coaches. Again, one of the most, you know, a, a really good game from start to finish. If you're a neutral fan, of course, for us, you have people like Jason Evans who was walking 18 miles during this game. So let's start <laughs> with the headlines. And I'm going to tell you guys, uh, we got a ton of headlines right after the, the final the email box lit up. I mean, it was, we got at least crazy. 10. We got at least 10 headlines. We cannot read them all, but I will first, you know, the honorable mentions, I'll shout out Jared Strauss, Wes Harris, Lauren Giglio, and Jonathan Bow. They sent ones we really appreciate that you guys sent them. Sorry that they didn't make the final cut, but we're going to go through the other ones. Uh, first off, Tyler Patla, his headline, Spartans checked out of Roach Motel as Blue Devils extend K's final road trip. Tyler, I love it. Perfect. The Roche Motel perfect. is great. It's great. The Roche Motel is perfect. Uh, we have from Andrew Bloom. Bombs away. Duke survives Sparty's best shot. Roach delivers one of his own. A little foreshadowing for maybe a player of the week dot at the end of me. We'll, we'll see. Uh, Jack Vedker, and I, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing your last name. Paul the Sixth 
backcourt, and that's VI. Paul VI backcourt, Roach and Keels, come up with huge shots late to keep Duke's VI, sixth national championship holds alive, ends Sparty Party. Jack, once again, that also was perfect. A lot of you are doing perfect tonight. We really appreciate it. And then I think the most simplest one, but also one that I thought was really cool, Tom Wildermuth, his headline, 1,200 equals 16. That game that we just witnessed was Coach K's 1,200th win as a head coach, his 99th win in the NCAA tournament. So, guys, we've heard from the rest yo, yo, of and, people and, out there. Hey, hey Donald, yeah. Donald and, and playing off those numbers, that win was Coach K's 1,200th. Should Duke win their Sweet 16 game, it would be Coach K's 100th NCAA tournament win. We were just doing nothing but reaching incredible milestones, stuff that no one's ever done before for Coach K. And, of course, we hope the numbers continue until we get to the number six. And, honestly, those numbers that we're mentioning, numbers that we may not see again by another yeah. coach. Yeah. It's going to take a long time before someone can equal some of these numbers that we're putting so, out here. So you want to think about 1,200 wins? You know what 1,200 wins is? There's simple math here, people. That's 40 years of winning 30 games per year. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's a lot That's of wins. Absurd. No one wins. No one wins 30 games a year. It's just, you know, I, consistently. It's crazy. I was asked, I was talking to my dad yesterday about sort of what the Shire era is going to look like. And he was like, so how many games do you think Duke is going to win next year? And I sort of casually was like, well, Duke will probably win at least 20 games again next year. But then I remembered that, like, that's hard to do. Like, even if it's not enough, um, (laughs) 20 is not that 25 is to me. You hit 25. And and that's just like what Coach K does, you know, every year, save for last year, pretty much. Right. Um, So, okay, we mentioned mentioned a lot of the high uh, of the uh, headlines, but I need to hear from you guys. So, Sam, give me your headline from this game. I had a sweet coda to the K is a rivalry. And as a sub headline, I wrote, is AJ okay? Because one of the, not that, not that it, it seems like it's bad, but man, one of the, one of the potential very scary things in this game was AJ Griffin going out and Duke really being down to a five man rotation in the final minutes. Yeah. And it, it, I will say after the game, he looked okay. He was walking. He did not have a limp, but of course the great thing is we have a few days of rest so that we can get his leg back to 100%. Jason, what was your headline? Nothing can kill a roach. Coach K, how sweet it is. That's my headline. I love it. I love it. And mine Nothing kind can of, kill a roach. It can survive a nuclear mine, war. It can survive a, <laughs> a Michigan State onslaught. Nothing can kill a roach. It, it's like Waffle House. It never closes. Never goes down. <laughs> um, mine was playing onto that as well. Roach ensures K's final ride includes stop in San Francisco. San Francisco, the site of the Sweet 16. There so guys, go. let's get into the good. Jason, I'm going to go to you. I'm not, I'm not even going to prompt you because I already know what you're going to talk about. Give it to me. Jeremy Roach, my man. Let's go. 37 minutes played. 15 points on 6 of 10 shooting. And look, everyone's going to remember that three. I mean, <laughs> one of the most clutched three-point shots in Duke history. And I know, look, yeah, there, there are guys who hit them in national championship games. I'm not comparing it to that. But it is still one of the more clutched three-pointers you'll ever see. It was a one-point game, a minute 15 left. Shot clock's almost gone, and Jeremy Roach hits a phenomenal three-pointer to, to give Duke a four-point lead and, and obviously never look back from there. But I don't think – what's incredible, Duke won this game. Jeremy Roach won this game for Duke with his ability to get to the rim in the half court. It was not that great three-pointer that won this game you know, fr- from Jeremy Roach. The thing he did to win this game was those incredibly difficult and dangerous forays into the lane – that seemed to work almost every time. It was unbelievable. I said at one point to, I have a bunch of friends that I text with during the games. And I said at one point that when Jeremy gets into the lane, we get a positive outcome like 80 to 90% of the time. And, 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 you know, that seems like hyperbole, but I think that's probably pretty close to accurate. And Jason, that wasn't the case. That wasn't the case a month ago, right? Like, no, like, this wasn't has the case two weeks ago. This has like, this has come on it. for Jeremy Roach like very recently. So all of a sudden, Duke just has this this additional uh, offensive skill that was not present for most of the season. Yeah, I I, I literally was just going to say if you told me a couple weeks ago that oh Jeremy Roach is going to save Duke's season by being perhaps our best player in the NCAA tournament tournament, 
I would have called you crazy. I would have said you were insane. And by the way, his defense has been game-changing for Duke. Duke switches. Duke is switching less when big men come out to screen. They switch when, you know, when the guards are, are just rotating around. Duke switches every screen in that kind of situation. And that's fine. There's no big deal. Guards covering guards. It doesn't matter whether it's Wendell Moore, Jeremy Roach, Trevor Keels. The problem for Duke comes in the pick and roll with the big men. And when Jeremy Roach is involved in a pick and roll um, uh, with a big man specifically, Duke does not switch because Jeremy Roach fights over those screens. He's like a savant at that. I've never seen anybody who is as good at that as he is at fighting through those screens. And, you know, it's, it's difference making on defense. And the last thing I want to say about Jeremy Roach was coach K had a couple comments about him in the post game that I think are worth repeating. He said that Jeremy Roach was willing the ball in the basket. He said on those drives, he's willing the ball in. And then coach K said, those were some of the best drives I've seen as a Duke coach, especially in a pressure situation. Coach 42 years. He's been coaching some of the best guards in history. And he said these were, and, and they were, they were absolutely phenomenal. And we needed them at a time in that second half when nothing else, nothing else was working other than Jeremy Roach. So for Jeremy Roach, a couple of things I mentioned, the, the, the three-pointer that you mentioned at late in the game, as soon as he released it, because of what had happened in the game and how he had played in that game, that was the first moment where I jumped up out of my seat before he released it. As soon as he caught the ball and I knew he was about to shoot it, I jumped out of my seat. I put my finger in the air and I said, that's good. That's three. That's money. He, he said in the post game, he knew, knew it was going in. He was you knew it was going, going in. in. Yeah. But Jason, that, I mean, he had a couple of drives that I thought were cool, but the best play of the game was that fake Euro step that he did in the lane. He faked like he was going to go up. He, he faked, fake he faked out everyone out. Everyone in the everyone. arena was confused by that move. Yeah, it was terrific. And, and again, Jason, you mentioned his defense, the way that he was able to just like get around guys and, and still stay in front of his man. Again, another thing that was not present two weeks ago, we were talking about how you know on defenses they were going after Jeremy Roach and switching him on the big man. He has figured out a way. He knows that guys are going to grab him. And again, as the smallest guy on the court, especially for our team, he has figured out a way to keep in front of guys and make it where they have to make a bad decision. And it may not be them throwing the ball away because Michigan state didn't really turn the ball over that much. It's just them making a bad decision. It may be the guy who is taking the shot. is not the guy that they want, or it may be that they're getting a bad shot out of it. But Jeremy Roach, I cannot speak enough about how well he did in this game. And really just, as you said, willing the ball into the basket at times doing things that he has not been doing previously and he has really just grown over the last couple of weeks that I'm super, super proud of. Sam, uh, talk to me about Mark Williams, because Mark Williams was the absolute man as well in the post. Yeah, as much as Jeremy Roach was was the guy on the perimeter for Duke today, we talked about how Michigan State brings size and depth to this game, I think highlighted by their big man, Marcus Bingham, who like I, I haven't checked all the draft boards or anything i know that he's a senior uh or at least he's experienced i like i I don't see why marcus bingham is not like a a top tier uh prospect because he was doing everything out there for michigan state tonight and mark williams was matching him right almost i mean bingham had had 10 rebounds uh mark only had eight but mark williams was blocking his shot mark williams was frustrating him in the post they had an incredible battle throughout throughout this entire game and Mark. So Mark Williams was, was holding his own on defense against Bingham. You know, Bingham was getting a few shots, but it's not like, it's not like he was dominating Mark Williams in any way. And then on offense, Mark Williams was incredible at, at putting himself in the right position to get the, the cleanup flush dunks. He took a couple passes from Paulo Bancaro uh, on the interior. He was, he was like in exactly the right place. And he had one of, I mean, it was, it was a total prayer shot but he had one incredible step back jumper that we have not seen from the Mark Williams arsenal. So both on defense and on offense tonight, Mark Williams was incredible. I'll read you the stat line just to, just to emphasize 15 points on nine shots from the floor, eight total rebounds, including two offensive five blocked shots. Let me repeat that five blocked shots for Mark Williams. And just like we say, every game, he was altering shots as much as he was blocking them. Michigan State uh, really didn't get into, you know, they scored 76 points tonight, but 
they didn't get into the rhythm I think that they wanted because Mark Williams was all over the floor on defense. You know, it wasn't, you're absolutely right. It's not just the five block shots. He's such a difference maker on D because he does a phenomenal job of staying on his feet and intimidating in the lane. There were so many times that the Michigan State guards would have these forays into the lane that ended with them absolutely flummoxed about what to do because Mark was in there. He's not going for any of their fakes. And they're sitting there like, okay, I I can't shoot it because this guy's going to swat it. And I guess I have to pass it back out and we need to reset. And suddenly the shot clock is dwindling now and our possession's becoming more and more desperate. Coach K in the postgame compared Mark to a hockey goalie, just protecting our neck net at all times and I, I love that comparison and, and I felt like Duke more than anything else won this game in the paint I mean we had to because they killed us from the three-point line we outscored Michigan State 44 to 28 in the paint we out rebounded them 35 to 31 and again like we said this is one of the biggest teams in all of division one basketball and we out rebounded them and Mark was you know the single reason for that and by the way we have to shout out and mention he hit an absurd fadeaway jumper from 15 feet with the shot clock expiring. Grant Hill, after that, said, I've never even seen him attempt a shot like that. And he's right. Mark Williams has never attempted. He hasn't. And it's not like it's not like Grant Hill like hasn't sat in on a few Duke practices in addition yeah, to exactly. watching most of I assume he watches most of the Duke games. Yes. yes. Oh, he has and, season tickets right behind right behind the uh the score scorer's table. Like he's, he's there, there every game. Time. He's on the quarter yeah. trustees. The man is yeah. there. Uh, yeah, so Mark Williams had everything in his arsenal working today. And and one thing I wanted to mention about him, when when you knew at the end of the game that Michigan State was going to be fouling, uh, Duke ran an inbounds play where we specifically got the ball to Mark Williams. Like the team sort of said, okay, who do we want at the line? Who's going to take this clutch free throw for us? Mark, you're the man. And and I, I'm I'm of the belief, I think, that Mark Williams and Wendell Moore are the two guys that I want on the line with the game on the line more than anybody else. Those are the two guys that I feel the and most they were. with. Yes, yes. Uh, how how insane is it <laughs> that he is a big man and 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 we are saying that Mark Williams is the guy who should be on the line? And then really quickly, I just want to mention about Wendell Moore and the free throws. He's going a little bit viral. There, there's, there's a lot of stuff on Twitter and the such about how he closes his eyes, you know, and like says a little prayer or something <laughs> on those free throws, Wendell Moore does. And in the postgame, Wendell said um, he does that because it's his routine. He closes his eyes so he can lock in, and then he sees nothing but himself and the bucket. And he said, I feel like I'm the only one out there after I do that, and no matter how much noise there is going on, no matter what the situation is, I don't hear a thing. It's just me and the basket after I close my eyes, which I thought was a really great explanation. I think when it comes to Mark Williams, in addition to everything that you two just mentioned, I mentioned on the preview for this game four things that Michigan State does that is, you know, like cer- certain like death and taxes, right? Hustle, rebounding, outworking, and physicality. They did all four of those things in this game, and we matched them on every single level. We Again, we beat them in rebounding. There was every hustle point. We were getting to balls. We were on the floor. We were diving. We were scrappy. Physical, we matched them physically. And just hardworking at the end when we were down five and we were able, and, and, and for us, we've seen that story before where it's ended in a loss. These guys found a way to come back and win. They worked hard to get to that. And that leads me to the next point that I have. The pressure that these guys are facing, or we talk about the pressure of the NCAA tournament, but this is different. As we all know, every single game that we walk into, yeah, this, this one goes to 11. Could be, this one goes to 11 in terms of pressure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it goes to oh, every single game does. And it's only going to go up from there because every single game we approach could be the final game for Coach K. And I know these players understand that. Everyone understands. If you if you watch college basketball, you understand that. But I think the the issue with it is, is that sometimes people buckle under normal pressure. This pressure, as you mentioned, is ratcheted up a notch. And these guys answered that bell. That last bell, again, when we were down five with a couple minutes left in the game, those guys answered the bell and they came out swinging and they fought hard to get that victory. So, Jason, I've talked about the pressure part of things. I want you to talk about the clutch part of things because I think these guys were clutch on a level that we haven't seen so far this season. The, the final five minutes for Duke was, was absurd at both ends of the floor. Um, Duke finished this game on a 20 to six run that was unbelievable efficiency 
and and smarts on offense and perhaps some of the best defense we've played all year guys in the final five minutes duke had 10 possessions do you know what percentage of possessions we scored on in the final five minutes of those 10 how about a hundred percent 10 for 10 i was gonna say all of them not every bad every single yeah, every single time Duke got the ball, they came away with points. Well, there was one time we came with one point because it was one free throw. But, you know, regardless. Points are points. Points are points. Especially um, late in the game when you're, I mean, that one free throw that Mark Williams made yeah. down the stretch. One point is one point because, again, it changes the level of what everything Michigan changes State the had to do to get back in the game. Yeah. Yeah. So Duke scored points on 10 out of 10 possessions in the final five minutes. Michigan State they scored on two out of nine possessions in the final 10 minutes. I mean, the final five minutes, that's, again, it's, it's, it's just phenomenal. And, and I love that we didn't panic. I love that when we needed clutch plays on both ends of the floor, there were multiple guys making those plays. It feels like these guys are getting older, that they're maturing, that they're coming into their own at the right, right kind of moment. It's, it's very, it's exciting. It's just a lot of fun. I, I, I just loved how they played down the stretch, the pressure part, the clutch part, the execution. I mean, at the end of the first half, we had a great execution play that led to two points and it took us into the half up four. And we also had a couple of guys just step up when we needed it. You talked about Jeremy Roach. You talked about Wendell Moore. You talked about Mark Williams. We'll get to Paul Ben in a second, but Sam, I want to go to you because one guy has not had a good couple of weeks, but I thought he recovered quite well. And that man is Trevor Keels. Yeah, we talked after the Fullerton game about how Keel seemed a little out of sorts, given that he was sent not to the bench, uh, but but sent out of the starting lineup. He was still getting significant minutes. Of course, in this game with uh, AJ Griffin going out with the injury, Keels was was in the crunch time rotation, and there was nobody subbing out. Like Theo John wasn't even coming in for Mark Williams as he had earlier in the game when when Mark had a, a couple early fouls, and I thought Keels performed really, really well, not like his most outstanding, you know, offensive output, just 12 points um, and, and one assist, but on defense, Trevor Keels was a total pest. He and Jeremy Roach together were, were wreaking a lot of havoc on Michigan state down the stretch. And, and this game was tight until the last couple minutes when Duke was able to like, pull it, like pull ahead just a little bit. Like it was, it was, it was still in doubt with a minute left in the game, but Duke, had had sort of already built like it was a two point lead. It was a three point lead. It was a four point lead. And it never felt like Michigan state quite had, they like, they made that, that run with about five, six minutes left where they went, where they took the lead again. Um, Duke clawed back, they scored on every possession and, and Keels in particular um, was acting like a really, really great pest on defense, not letting Michigan state sort of establish the offense that they had run so well earlier in the game. And he was a key to that victory. I'm really glad to see that because again, assuming that AJ Griffin is healthy for Duke's next game against Texas tech, it is like full steam ahead for this team. Hopefully it means that they are about to start peaking. Yeah. And regarding Trevor Keels, uh, it, Look, I, I, I've been the one saying that Duke has been worse with him in the lineup lately. His plus minus in this game is plus 12. Um, Mark Williams and Wendell Moore, the only guys in the team who had a better plus minus than Trevor Keels. Uh, meanwhile, A.J. Griffin and, and Keels and Griffin, you know, sub for each other a pretty fair bit, especially with Jeremy Roach playing as much as he's been playing lately. Uh, A.J. Griffin's got a minus five on his plus minus. So uh, there's little question that Duke was better with Trevor Keels than they were with A.J. Griffin for much of this game. And I, I'm going to be very honest. There was there was a long stretch of the first oh, 25 maybe 30 minutes of this game where Trevor Kills was not very good. <laughs> he had he had some some poor decision making on offense, I thought, and and had a couple you know plays on defense that weren't quite up to what we expect of him. Um, I, I mentioned I've got this text chain thing that I have with a bunch of Duke friends. The number of oh my God, Kills is awful what is Keels doing kind of messages. Um, there were, there were a lot of them. <laughs> there were a lot, lot of them early in this game, but then for him to have the intestinal fortitude to, you know, three and a half minutes left in the game and Michigan state's up three and he nailed a three pointer that frankly, if, if he misses it, um, I think there's a pretty good case that Duke loses this game. And Jason, just like I mentioned on the preview, I said, all he needs to do, is get one in there to give him some confidence. 
after that, I think he had a couple of plays where he got into the lane, was able to get to the rack and either made the basket or he went to the fouled, line and made fouled free, and throws. free throws. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, for him, it, it is really not easy to screw up and feel like, you know, oh, no, I'm losing my place. Oh, no. You know, my draft stock is think about the pressure on these guys and for Trevor Keels in, in the face of that kind of pressure. He's no longer a starter. He's struggling on both ends of the floor. The team's down three and the ball comes to him and he nailed that three-pointer. Yeah, I, I mean, there's no word for it other than he, he and Jeremy Roach have huge balls. <laughs> there's not, I can't say that, that. That's just reality. Those two guys, they're walking around with their heads in the air, held high, and they're strutting because they had monster cojones in this game. Jason, in our chat, uh, and for those of you out there, in the, we, we, as you guys know, we have a chat that, that we usually talk to each other during the game when we're talking to everyone else that we, we all know about, about the games. Uh, Jason asked us, what's the emoji for big balls of steel? And I just put a roach emoji because that's what that was. That's that perfect. man stepped up perfect. a big deal. But also Trevor Kills did as well. I, will, I do want to you know, end the good by saying Paul Bancaro, I thought, had a great game again as well. I thought he was just as efficient again just as aggressive on offense as he was in the first game against Cal State Fullerton was able to take, t- take guys to the rack. He got a couple of, and ones, uh, had a couple of, you know, I think he had maybe one three pointer check me on that. Um, but no, no, he, he had, had he two, had two pointers. He had two yeah. you know, and he had two back to back. He was, he took yes. over. There was a, a stretch in the first half and also early in the second half where he Paulo took over, had some really nifty passes too. He had one pass to Mark Williams. that was absurd. Uh, if I was mm-hmm. an NBA GM, I would. Uh, those are moments I'd be like, okay, yeah, I'm salivating. I'm taking this. I don't care where my pick is. I'm taking this guy. Yeah, I mean, 19 points, seven rebounds, four assists, a block. Like the guy was all over the page, and, and he was all over the, f- the floor. He was doing anything and everything. And again, Jason, you mentioned there was a couple of times where he took over, and there was a couple of times where he kind of deferred and let other guys take over. So I really liked what I saw from this team. Just the just the hustle, the 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 pressure built around them. They were able to manifest that into victory. And again, 1,200 victories for Coach K, his 99th in the NCAA tournament. And we have yet another Sweet 16 in our midst. We're going to take a break right here. When we get back, we do have to talk about the things we need to improve on. And we will get to our Player of the Week nods. Stick around. More on this game after this. Hey there, Duke fans. You know, warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors. No prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-created meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors' fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. That's right, Jason. And Jason, I can tell you, I just got some meals. They're fantastic. And the great thing is, like you said, two minutes, mindless work, pop it in the microwave, do what you need to do, and it's ready to eat. No more cooking, no more cleaning pots and pans. And also, there's a lot of choices with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. So you'll always have new flavors to explore. All right. So head to factormeals.com slash dukebb 50 Use that code DUKEBB50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code DUKEBB50 at factormeals.com. Get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy Factor Meals from the Duke Basketball Roundup. All right, guys, we are back again. Duke is in the Sweet 16 after an 85-76 to 76 victory over Michigan State. Uh, we have talked about the good. We have talked about the headlines. And now we have to talk about the things that we need to improve from this game. And, Jason, I will go to you first. Give me something about uh, – we, we talked about some of the turnovers. Tell us about some of the turnovers in this game and how they kind of manifested into this uh, into the game. Yeah, so actually, the, the thing I want to talk about regarding turnovers, if you'll allow me to, is Duke's defense on turnovers. Um, Michigan State is a turnover-prone team. That's one of the things we 
previewed about this, um, uh, you know, about this game. Michigan State usually turns the ball over on almost 20% of their possessions. They only had seven turnovers today. And this has been a trend for Duke lately that we are not turning the opponent over. We're not getting a lot of steals, although yeah, Wendell Moore had a hugely, hugely clutch steal in the final minute. Um, Trevor Keels almost had a steal in the final minute. Uh, so those were great. But for the most part in this game, Duke did not turn Michigan State over very much at all. And, and our defense was really bad at the three-point line. Um, uh, Michigan State, incredibly hot in the first half, 70%. I mean, that's just a ridiculous number. It's 70% of the threes. Um, in the second half, they hit 33%, which is a more normal number. But it means over the course of the game, they were, they were 50% from three. Um, and some of them were tough. But there were a lot of them. That they just worked the ball around and got a guy open for a three-pointer. Duke has to figure that part out. We have to figure out how to stop teams from getting open threes because thanks to Mark Williams, the long arm of the Mark Williams law, thanks to Mark Williams in the paint, we don't teams don't score in the paint that much on us. If we can crack down on the three point line, then teams are really going to struggle to score against Duke. And it's just, it's, it's been constant lately, literally since the Carolina game, opponents have been hitting threes and hitting threes and not turning the ball over against Duke consistently every single game. And the quality of the opponents keeps on stepping up. Duke needs to find a way to cut down that or, or we're just not going to, we're not going to keep on playing. Yeah. I think when it comes to the three point defense, it, I feel like, like you said, they work the ball around. They're able to get shots. I wasn't necessarily concerned about it, except for the fact that they got hot, especially late in the first half and like early into the second half, they got super hot from three pointer and it felt like we were trading threes and we knew we had to get out of that momentum. I think when it comes to the turnovers that we had or just missed shots that we had, there was a few times where we did not get back on defense and they were able to get out, especially Brown was able to get out very quickly and get a quick bucket at the other end. We clearly do not want that to happen uh, because later on the tournament, those two points, you know, here or there, those hustle, you know, moments can mean the difference between winning and losing. And we just need to curtail that. I think uh, when it comes to just, focusing on getting back on defense and keeping guys in front of you. When we did that late, that late in the, late in the game, Michigan state didn't have an answer for that, but if they're able to get out, we don't want to give an opponent easy points, Sam, anything from you? Yeah. We talked in the preview about how Michigan state is good at finding their three point shot and that how that has been a struggle for Duke. So in a way, this is sort of like a Duke got lucky that they, they got away with this game, given that it was one of Duke's weaknesses going up against one of Michigan state's strengths. And hopefully it's an opportunity for the team to regroup. They now have uh, a, a few days off. It's it's Sunday. Now their next game is on Thursday. They do have to fly out West, but they have, they have a couple days to kind of watch the tape, reinstall the, the defense and hopefully cut down on the opponent three pointers as they prepare for Texas tech. Yeah, totally agree with that. Another thing that I thought was worth highlighting. I mentioned it early on uh, was AJ Griffin. AJ Griffin, he had seven points as Jason mentioned, this plus minus was one of the worst on the team, but it felt like he was kind of out of sorts, especially from three. And it's been that way for a little bit. And as I mentioned on the last show, when he's not making threes, it feels like he's not a focal point of the offense because part of his being a focal point was him making those threes. And he did it with such great success during the regular season that it feels like we're in a trouble spot with him when it comes to the postseason because he's not making them at the same type of clip. But I will say the injury also, uh, I just hope that everything is okay with him. We, you know, we go back to October when I was at the, the fabled practice where he injured his right knee and everyone feared the worst because of his injury history. And everyone there was talking about how, you know, sensitive a kid he is to injury and, feeling like any injury, whether, you know, minor or what feels like it's the end of the line. And I just hope mentally he's able to say, Hey, I'm okay. It looked like he was in good spirits. He was walking. As I mentioned, he was not walking with a limp at the end of the game, which is always great. And it feels like he has, you know, his knee or his, his ankle will be okay. I just want to make sure that mentally that he's puts that behind him and says, Hey, I can take a hit and get back up and keep going. I think that's the idea with him. But Jason, I want to go back to you because I know you have another thing related to Paulo Bancaro. As great a game he, as he had, uh, there's obviously some room for improvement there. 
Yeah. So here's my thing about Paula Bancaro, and I hate to mention it in the bad, but you know, this this is something that that was bad. Um, there was a there was a stretch of the second half, especially where Michigan State was was taking the lead, where they came from behind and took the lead on Duke, and things started to look bleak. Where frankly, Duke wasn't getting the ball to Paulo Bancaro. We've seen this happen before. Remember the game against Florida State? Paulo didn't take a shot, like barely got a touch for like 19 minutes of the second half. Uh, this wasn't nearly as excessive as that, but uh, Duke needs to remember that Paulo Bancaro is our best offensive player. We need to never forget that. And we need to always sort of go, wait, you know, have we worked the ball to Paulo lately? Um, he needs touches. And what he really needs is touches more in the post. Uh, when, when Paulo got the ball in the post, he was unstoppable this game. I mean, I can't, maybe, you know, if I have the time, I'll go back and I'll rewatch the entire game on tape and try and track his possessions um, where he gets the ball in the lane. But man, it sure felt like anytime he got in there, he's able to put a variety of moves, spins and things like that on people, fakes and the such. And he's so strong and so physical that he just finished every single time. Compare that to his possessions where he gets the ball in the perimeter. You know, the, from an efficiency standpoint, you can't even compare them. Um, I'm not saying he's bad on the perimeter. I'm not saying I want him to not get the ball on the perimeter. But I, I don't know. Duke just needs to they need to remind Paulo, hey, you know what? Maybe on this possession, go down there on the block. Go down there and let's see if we can get you the ball there instead of getting you the ball outside the three-point line. Again, I don't want him to get rid of it forever. Um, but uh, we need to remember where our bread is buttered on offense. And, and I think it's with Paulo getting the ball a little closer to the lane as opposed to being more on the perimeter. It's interesting, Jason, because we've talked about that dynamic quite a bit over the last month or so. The fact where it feels like Paulo feels like his game doesn't suit himself to be always in the post to be an aggressive there. But we know that when he does do it, he's very aggressive and he can play that position. He's bigger than everybody else. He's stronger than everybody else. And he's faster than anybody bigger than him. So he can get to the lane, you know, whenever he wants. And on the perimeter, it seems like no matter what he does, if he's not going to go to the hole, he's settling for a long two, which, as you know, is very, very inefficient. Even if he makes a couple of them, it still is something where if he just takes another dribble, he's in a position where we know he's hitting 75, 80% of his shots. Sam, what did you see from it's Paulo frustrating to me that Paulo still takes these shots because like, like there were multiple times this game where he got the ball at the top of the key and kind of like failed to look around a little bit. I've talked so much recently about the, vi about the court vision. This is not just a Paulo and, problem. And, he's a, and it's a ball stopper too. Like the, the movement stops immediately for the team when he gets right. There. And, and it's not just him, right? We've, we've noted that Trevor Keels has this problem. Um, Jeremy Roach can have this problem sometimes. AJ Griffin, but, AJ Griffin's bad yeah, about it too. But, but the mm -hmm. problem is that Paulo gets the ball a lot. So the, the offense runs through him. He's often, if he's not at the top of the key, he's near the free throw line. He's, he's, he's not buried in the corner. So the ball is going through him no matter where the, the direction, the flow of the offense is. So I'd really like to see that get cleaned up. I just don't, it's pretty, it's pretty damn late in the year for this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's possible. It's it's possible that Coach K is like, you know what, Paulo is this guy, and and this is sort of part of his his like direction in the NBA. So we kind of have to go with it. He might also realize that like, look, Duke's got this very Duke has one of the most efficient offenses in the country. I feel like I I I, I do not reflect Duke's uh, offensive efficiency in the way that I talk about the offense because I'm always talking about how like. Man, I wish there was better passing. You know, when we've we've seen we've seen uh, some better passing in the last two games. But man, I wish there was better passing. Man, I wish there was better shot selection. And yet, as of right now, the the all the results from tonight are not in yet in Kempom. But Duke has the fourth most efficient offense in the country right now. Um, so yes. so in, in a way, it's sort of like in spite of that. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like how much can you really complain about the fact that Paulo takes awful 18 footers? Cause Duke makes enough shots and Duke gets to the line and, and does all these things correctly. So I guess it's working. Yeah, really? I mean, those, those, those shots are NBA shots. That's him. You know, it's not necessarily him showcasing himself to NBA people, but those are, those are definite NBA shots. And I think when it comes to, uh, when it comes to Paulo, he, we're going to see some of that because that's part of his game. He's preparing for the next level. We're going to see some of that in his game. 
and he feels that he has the confidence to make some of those shots. And sometimes he does. It's just that lately he hasn't. And I think that's the most frustrating thing about it. Uh, I, I will note just really briefly, it's 10-16 on the East Coast as we record. Miami, the Miami Hurricanes are in the Sweet 16. God bless you. ACC. Go Canes. ACC. Go Duke. ACC Three is ACC, ACC teams is very much going that. to the Sweet 16. Yo, hey, hey, maybe the ACC didn't suck this year, huh? No, Jason, the ACC did suck, and past <laughs> performance is not an indicator of future results. Check with your financial you planner you <laughs> before you make any investments. I will say, uh, as I mentioned yesterday, um, there was a lot of people who said that Tennessee should have gotten a two seed and Duke should have been a three, and I have not heard those people today. So I'm just going to leave it there. Awful quiet. That. Really quiet. Really Man, quiet. The, SEC, quiet. <laughs> the SEC did not, uh, did not show up in the way that that we expected them to Arkansas is in the, is in the sweet 16. They're playing Gonzaga in our bracket, but Auburn gone, Tennessee gone, Kentucky gone, Alabama gone. Um, man, just a, a bloodbath for the SEC. Big 10, big 10 also, big 10 also did not have a good tournament. No, Hey, I no, told you not that was going to happen too. We, we, the um, big 10 has, the big, Michigan, 10 has the big 10 has Michigan. I know Donald is, is crushing it in this tournament. Um, <laughs> but the big 10 has only one team in Michigan who is an 11 seed. They're in the sweet 16. And, they have one more potential team. So the ACC is going to beat the Big Ten and the SEC in, in Sweet 16 appearances. Suck it! Maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe watch more games this time. Um, I, I do want to end with the player of the week, and I think there's a lot wait, wait, of wait, 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 wait. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I got to think about the refs. I got to talk about the refs. Oh, you want to talk about the refs? I want to oh, talk about the refs you know, very quickly. Talk about the refs. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I could, really, the, the truth is I could probably save this for when we do our, our whole thing on the on the whole tournament, because this is mostly about the rest of the tournament. Maybe I should save it for there. I don't know. Eh, I'll I'll just mention it now, really quickly. Maybe we'll get back to it. But um, just boy, mention the, this game. Just 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 keep it keep it within the Duke the Duke world. Okay. All right. So in the Duke world, man, the refs were really bad uh, early in this game. <laughs> they were really like uh, Paula Bancaro had a shot that was a clear goal, like just a ridiculous goaltend in the first minute or so that they didn't call, and Mark Williams got fouled on a dunk attempt, like two or three times on the same attempt and they didn't call. They were just a lot. And, that, of- and it was goaltending on that same, that same oh. one. They called the block. Instead of calling it a block, it should have been a, a foul, a goaltend and an and one. There, there were, I felt like it, I sent a text. I keep on talking about my texts, you know, what, you know, anyway, I sent we a text to all my friends before the game. And I was like, wow, we've just seen some terrible, terrible officiating in this tournament. I really hope that Duke doesn't end up being one of these teams that feels like, the officials took us out of the tournament and, and literally inside of, I, I sent that text like a minute before tip off and inside of five minutes, I had three different friends replying to me saying, Oh my God, Jason, were you looking in the future? Because the first five minutes of the game, like the refs made like three terrible calls against Duke. It, it, I, I want to be clear. I think anytime you blame the refs for a loss, it's probably bad form. Uh, if you're really good enough, you should win it without the referees. That's that's the bottom line. That's the truth. But I think we should have an expectation. Certainly, if not in the first round of the NCAA tournament, in the second round, now that we're we're, we're weeding out those horrible first round refs, now we're on to the second round refs. There should be some expectation that they be I don't know a little bit competent. And frankly, there's a lot of incompetent officiating going on, uh, at least from what I've watched. And I've watched a ton of games this year. Jason, you are absolutely right when you say that when you lose, blame the refs for it is poor form. It may, it may be true, but it's poor form. But we didn't lose. So what you said is absolutely correct. I will also note, for, for fairness' sake, that after that first few minutes where Duke got a bunch of calls against them, there were a few instances where Duke definitely committed fouls on Michigan State that were oh, not yeah. called. So there was so some wait, wait, hold on. This, this, this is a, a Michigan State game. This is a Michigan State game. And, um, and I'm not saying that, that, that they do this illegally or that there's anything wrong with it, but Tom Izzo preaches, go out there, hit them, hit them hard. The refs won't call it every time. I mean, that's, that, that's the way Michigan State has played defense for a long, 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 long time. And it's fine. That's their style. That's the way they want to play defense. But Michigan State's, they hold, just like Virginia. Virginia does the same thing. They hold a lot. They bang on you a lot, and their attitude is the refs may call 50% of these, but they ain't calling all of them, and that's just the way Michigan State plays. If Duke played that way back at them a little bit, it ain't nothing, but yeah, the, it still doesn't matter. The refs were terrible. They were terrible, 
and, and if they were terrible to Duke's benefit, I'd be saying they were terrible too. And, and, and they were, they're terrible both ways. There's a lot they can improve on. Let's just leave it at that. I, I think uh, the refs did not cost us the game and we're very, very lucky for that. Um, but again, I credit the moxie. I credit the, the, just the testicular fortitude as Jason put it so eloquently uh, of this Duke team to get us over the hump and overcome those odds to get to the sweet 16 guys. We will now end with the player of the week. I think there's a lot of guys who have earned a, a nod. So let's see what we, we kind of discussed it, but we went a few ways. Jason, who is your player of the week? Mark Williams had five block shots in the first game. Mark Williams had five block shots in the second game. Mark Williams shot seven of nine against Michigan state. He was six of seven <laughs> against Cal state Fullerton. I, I, you know, I, yeah, there were, there, there are a lot of guys you could pick. There are a lot of guys who played really well for Duke. We won both games. Mark Williams was a huge difference maker on offense and defense in the lane. And Go, go ahead and pick someone else if you want. I think Mark Williams is unquestionably the player of the week. I, I really like that pick. Um, Sam, who do you got? I was between Mark Williams, the guy that I'm about to pick, and Lily from AT&T, uh, just because I feel <laughs> like if it's not Charles Barkley and Sam Jackson on, on my TV during this weekend, it's Lily from AT&T. But uh, I'm going to go with Jeremy Roach because of the just enormous – way that he stepped up at the end of the game today against Michigan State. Duke does not beat Michigan State without Jeremy Roach's contributions. A.J. Griffin goes out uh, and, and is not able to bring his normal offensive firepower. Jeremy Roach hits a couple of huge baskets, makes a couple of huge assists, and is a pest to Michigan State in those last couple minutes to, to force the win. Roach has, has come on so strong here in the last few weeks. I know we keep saying it, but man, what a, what a time for that end of season revelation for him. Yeah, Sam, it wasn't just the final few minutes, the whole second half. The second half of that Michigan State game was probably the best Jeremy Roach has played all year. I, I agree with that. And honestly, I think Mark Williams had a terrific, terrific week. I am also going to go Jeremy Roach. Oh! It, it's because <laughs> I always say this, Mark Williams, since maybe January 31st, has been nothing short of incredible for Duke. Jeremy Roach. He's been, our he's been our best player. You're right. He's been our best player. I would definitely give you that. Since January 31st, I could not say the same thing for Jeremy Roach. But since March 15th, that man has been absolutely out of his mind playing super, super well. He gets better every game. And things that, as we mentioned, even just a couple of weeks ago, would end in block shots or turnovers or out of bounds are turning into two points or turning into and ones or they're turning into great assists. He has figured out a way to take what were his weaknesses and turn them into strengths, and he's doing it at the best time of the year, the time when it counts the most, tournament time. And for that, I'm going to give him my play of the week. But that is no slight to Mark Williams because I think Mark Williams had a fantastic week, just as he has been. I, I, I'm just almost giving him the Paulo Bancaro credit that we were giving him early in the early year. We're like, oh, Paulo is always going to be great, so we're going to give it to someone else. Jeremy Roach has earned it. Mark Williams has earned it. Both of them. I'm glad, Jason, that you picked them. And Sam, I'm glad you picked Jeremy Roach so that I didn't have to be the only one. I'm, I'm, I'm calling it right now. Jeremy Roach will be all ACC next year. Probably first or second team all Perhaps first. I, I could easily see him being first team all ACC next year. I am so here for the Jer Jeremy Roach junior year. Um, if, his, if his outside shot improves even a little bit, dude is going to be just ridiculous. I was wondering on a completely different topic. I was wondering earlier in the show who was going to stand out in this tournament. And I mentioned that Arizona might have the ability to stand out. Uh, I'm, I'm not watching this game super closely because I'm trying to listen to the conversation that the two of you are having with me uh, in, in this recording. But right now there's about six minutes. Looks, yeah, about six minutes left in the first half between Arizona and TCU. Arizona's only up by three. So uh, let's say that Arizona is not looking dominant, even if they may end up winning this game. So it, it feels like this tournament field is about as wide open as, as it's ever been. And I hate to say it, but like UNC has been one of the most impressive teams uh, this weekend. So, so it really does feel as we're headed into the sweet 16, like basically anybody could be great uh, going into the final four. I hate saying it. So I'm not going to, 
that's how I feel about UNC. Uh, but we will talk about the rest of the NCAA tournament on the next episode of this podcast. We will also preview our upcoming Sweet 16 matchup against Texas Tech. Again, that will be Thursday night. We don't know the time at this point. We should know those times by the time we record next, uh, but that will be at the Chase Center in San Francisco. So everybody on the West Coast, get your butts to San Francisco. It is on. Yeah, Donald, I believe that the the time should come out late tonight. So, so do fan like I, I think by the time folks are listening to this, you can you can uh, look up the schedule and know so that when we do preview it in a couple of days, um, we'll have all the exact times ready for you. And let's just get the the gripes out of the way early. That if that whatever time Duke gets on Thursday is going to be late, even if it's like the early game of the of the two West Coast games, because Gonzaga is going to be in the late game. And if Duke does manage to get to uh, to the game on Saturday, it'll probably also be late, although it's Saturday. So so no complaining about late games on Saturday. But yeah, late game probably on Thursday night. Yeah, but we you know what? We're here for this. This these are these are minor problems that we love to have when it comes to March. This is why this is why we do what we do. So for this is episode 405 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast for Jason, for Sam. I am Donald. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Duke is sweet once again we already knew it and now it's official let's go on to san francisco duke band carry us there take us home